Welcome to Embracing Everyday Women with Bahar Abuyarade and Patricia Ortiz. Join us as we share stories to bring healing and hope to everyday women everywhere. Each episode will feature women with universal stories of love, joy, pain, loss, and strength. This is a space to embrace ourselves and one another since words are like virtual hugs. Hello, Embracing Everyday Women. I have the sweet privilege of announcing our guest today, Courtney Miller, one of my best friends. We're so lucky to have her. A little bit to know about Courtney Miller is she is a lover of reflection, research, rest, and relationships. She is currently pursuing her doctorate in clinical psychology and researching how therapists can collaborate with pastors in the church to create mental health programs to support African-American young adults. She is passionate about understanding and listening to other stories while helping them to rewrite their stories. That's so great. I love that. She defines her overall purpose to empower people to heal and create their extraordinary lives. In her rest time, she loves to bike ride with her husband, cry while watching This Is Us, and experiment with cooking tasty, nutritious meals. This is so great. Courtney, welcome to our podcast. We're so happy you're here with us. Oh, thank you so much, Patricia and Bahar. I feel so honored to share time with you this morning. So I think we're just going to jump right into kind of the biggest thing that um, you're known for is your your passion for your research and all of the things that you've learned thus far and how you're going to use those things going into the future. But what inspires you most about um, or in your research of mental health and how it relates to young people? Yeah. um, I mean, I guess I love telling stories. So there's always a story behind every bit of research. So when I began um, life, I I always had an interest in people. Psychology was something I always knew I wanted to do as a little girl. Um, When I got to, I went to Cal for undergrad didn't want to do anything to do with psychology because the first day of lecture, they said, I am here to disprove anything about creationism. I am going to prove to you that evolution is the only theory. I walked out of that psychology class that I wanted nothing to do with psychology. And I actually got a prophetic word not too long afterward that I needed to bet my routes to be a psychologist and that I would become a doctor of psychology, that I would have this practice. And so I decided to start all over again and major in psychology. And then I ended up in grad school um, a couple years after. And I really was passionate about bringing who I am into my research and I've been a lover of Jesus my whole life, and I did not feel um, I could study something that I was not passionate and inspired about, which everything that exists about me is about loving God and loving people. And so I wanted to bring my research to marry those two parts of my life. And um, the title of my dissertation is Bridging the Gap Between the Altar and the Therapist's Office. And what I'm interested in learning about is how do we bring um, all the good, the beautiful things that the church does for the community and also bring it in collaboration with what we provide in therapy. And I think the the hard part is both of those lands are often, um, they're against each other. We often hear in the pulpit, you don't need a therapist, you need Jesus. And then we hear in the therapist's office, everything you need is within yourself. And so I'm passionate about how do we bring those two together and where they're not enemies, but they actually work together. That's really good. I like that. It's, it's not, it doesn't have to be separate, but we can, we can really marry those two together. Like you said, you talked about things that you're passionate about. I wanted to bring up a a question so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Can you tell us something about yourself um, that maybe people can't find on your social media account? You know, I, I was thinking about this and I'm like, okay, I am very vocal on my social media. Like 
people easily know I'm I'm very health conscious. I'm all about natural medicine. I'm all about um, my husband. I'm <laughs> all about you know research. All these things. So what could someone not know? Um, I think maybe something people may not know is that um, I love to laugh. Um, I think a lot of times people look at me as the therapist in the group that's really serious, always asking reflective questions, always trying to get people to cry, which I do. <laughs> I do that all the time. But I don't think people know, like, I love laughing to the point where I can't breathe. And I, I laugh at the littlest things. Like, I love dry humor. Like, I love The Office. Michael Scott, I I just, he is my favorite person in the whole wide world. No one can make me laugh better than Michael Scott and probably my friend, Eric Guerra. Um, but yeah, I love to laugh and maybe people wouldn't know I have kind of this savior complex that um, when I look out in the world, I'm constantly broken by seeing things that um, are hurt are not right and I'm really sensitive like I cry a lot and um you know I asked my mom I'm like you know what's something that people wouldn't know about me and she's like I think you do like to cry (laughs) like I I recently moved back in with my mom and she's like I've seen this new level of sensitivity just as your mother that I haven't seen before Um, And so, yeah, I'm a really sensitive person and I love helping people. um, But I also, I love silence. Like, I love silence because silence speaks louder than words. Mm. And it's so interesting how those things are typically in opposition of each other, like laughing and silence, crying and silence. Like, you know, it's, not usually something that you're very good at doing on a spectrum. Right. Like we're either really emotional <laughs> and loud mm-hmm. or, or really quiet and, you know, just reserved, I guess. But I love mm-hmm. that you have that balance where you've recognized like the healthy balance and all of that is being able to do a little bit of everything to really be in a way well-rounded, right? Like, Oh yeah. You know how to handle all of the different emotions that come at you in a day, in a minute. <laughs> I'm so big on emotions. That's mm-hmm. an obvious one. Talk to me about your emotions. I'll cry with you. I'll laugh with you. I'll ask you a deep question. Emotions <laughs> are my favorite thing to talk about. I love that. And you're really good at it too. I think you do a good job at reeling in emotions as an indicator. And I think we've even talked about that, Courtney, Mm -hmm. but I would love to know more about specifically that, how you were saying like you are sensitive and how your mom has observed this new level of like almost tenderness in you that has birthed maybe through this past year or even prior. Um, I'd love to know more about that whole process of embracing that for yourself while also giving that to others. Cause I can assume, you know, with your research, it is about embracing the emotions and allowing yourself to feel and not be desensitized to maybe certain things that we see in media or but allowing yourself to feel collectively and individually. Um, So I'd just love to know that process. Maybe bring us in a little bit more. I mean, my mind's going in two different places. One, um, I'll never forget starting grad school in orientation. They told us, um, you're going to go through a transformation process. The person that you are today is not going to be the person that walks out with the graduation cap. And I'm like okay, you just want me to come to your school, whatever. But like becoming um, a therapist, becoming a clinician, the best clinicians, and I've received therapy. I'm a big proponent of therapy. Um, The best clinicians were not the ones that had all the answers, um, that had the theory, that had the science. But the best clinicians to me were the ones that knew how to connect 
and allow that openness within themselves to connect with the client. And I, I want to shout out my therapist that I'm working with right now. I love you, Amy, because there is something about when you're able to just allow this openness within your heart to shine forth when you're connecting with someone that I think healing is facilitated in someone else's life. Like healing doesn't come from um, I'm coming to you for answers and advice. Healing comes when I can connect with you and be real with you. And I think the barrier that often comes with um, the sensitivity portion is a little bit of what you talked about. Like um, I need to be strong. I need to be able to um, show that I can withstand. And the second thing that I was thinking about was um, at the end of 2019, uh, all all facades of strength, all facades of having it together. Um, it all came crumbling down when I started dealing with this unexplained health condition and um, started having this unexplained joint pain, muscle weakness, all these things. My body literally started shutting down and started having to do all these tests, um, x-rays, blood work, all these things. And doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. And this was the most crippling time of my life because for however many years, I've never, I've always been thought of as healthy, quote unquote, healthy. And all of a sudden, pain took over my whole life and tears were a daily reality for me. No answers were a daily reality. And God was as silent as ever. And I got to this point of realizing I don't trust God. Like I've been a Christian for how long? My whole life. Why is God allowing suffering to happen to me? Like, what did I do? Did, did I not forgive someone? Did I not repent for something? Um, maybe, you know, there's somewhere in my past, I have unrepentant sin. Like, why am I going through this health scare? And I had all the diagnosis thrown at me, like autoimmune disease and all these things. And to this day, the doctor has diagnosed me with an autoimmune disease. And what has happened in the process is a breaking of my heart, a breaking of who I thought God to be, a breaking of what it even means to feel secure in your own body. And I think in the breaking process, you have no other, like there's no other choice but to let it all out. Like, if you think about like a vase and slowly, like there's little cracks that are happening in the vase of like this blood test and this diagnosis and this email and this thing, eventually the it, it cracks and it shatters completely. And that's what happened to me in 2020. While the world is crumbling from COVID, I was crumbling from this, un, this mysterious health condition. And so getting to the point of I have no strength and the only strength I can depend on is this mysterious, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And what does that actually mean? It sounds real cute on a Sunday, but I need to know what strength looks like. And there was nothing in me that had that strength. And I had to depend on God daily where I was waking up every morning, turning on a sermon, crying, praying, like just getting to the point where I couldn't even... I, there was no fancy prayer. It was just help. That's all I could do. I could just cry and scream help. And going to the altar, doing all the things and feeling like there was nothing that was shifting. I think I finally got to this place of like, you know what? I have to embrace suffering. Like I have to embrace weakness. And once I was able to embrace it, I was also able to surrender to the trying to figure it all out, trying to have, you know, researching what grass-fed things can I do that are anti-inflammatory that can heal inflammation in the body? What exercise can I do that releases inflammation in the body? Like I was doing all these things in my own strength to find strength, but I didn't find any strength until I allowed myself to be completely weak. And it wasn't until 2021 where things turned around in a whole different direction, but that was a year of being weak to the uttermost desperate part of yourself. Wow. Thank you for sharing. 
that's, I mean, I, I feel like I walked with you through parts of that journey. And so I got to see like the pain, but I know that you were saying crying was <laughs> your usual mm-hmm. and that there were no answers to your daily reality. And I think a lot of the words that you specifically said, it's just, it's hard to hear, you know, the pain of someone that you love go through this. And I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with what you were sharing. I'd love to hear more about 2021 and how you said it shifted. What did that shift look like? You know, I wish I could give this cute, packaged moment of this is the shift. This is the the formula that I did. And honestly, the shift actually happened at the end of 2020, where um, I think I was having an identity crisis of who am I? And, you know, in the midst of going through this health crisis, I was still a therapist, showing up for my clients every day in the midst of Black Lives Not Mattering, in the midst of my body breaking down. And I had to make a huge decision. Um, and I actually decided to drop out of my grad school classes. And knowing me, I am the biggest productive, achieving, wanting to accomplish everything, get things done, get things turned in 20 years in advance if I could. And so the fact of accepting I had to stop, like everything had to stop, I think was the shift. Um, And it was funny because right when I made that decision, my body actually got worse and I broke out in shingles. And, you know, the doctors are like, why is a 26 year old breaking out in shingles? Your immune system is attacking itself. And I had to get to the point of like, I trust God. I was elevating the authority of the doctors as if they are determining my fate. My grad school is determining my fate. And I was like, you know what? (laughs) Screw everybody, screw everything. I have to trust God. He's my only option. And so while healing from shingles, I was actually experiencing the most peace and joy um, and the less stress that I've ever had in my life. And I got to the point of, you know, after blood test after blood test, I took a break mentally from everything that was pulling on me, asking for something from me, requiring something of me. And then I rested like I rested so hard. I slept in the most I ever have in my life. I was just chilling big time, taking care of myself, like doing all the things that I never had time to do because I'm a grad student. I'm a wife. I got to do all the things for everybody else. And I actually got to take care of myself. And then my blood results started dropping. All the elevated inflammation, it started normalizing. And my doctor is like, oh, you know, Mrs. Miss Miller, your your results are dropping. They're becoming normal. What are you doing? I said, oh, you know, just praying and working out and eating organic and grass fed, like nothing usual. <laughs> and that was shocking for her because she's like, someone with your diagnosis, you're only going to evolve and get worse. It, it's only bound to happen where it's going to evolve into another disease. I don't understand how this is happening. And so it wasn't until February of 2021 where the results dropped completely and they became completely normal. And all she could say was, your levels are stable and normal. Have a good day. And I just bawled my eyes out crying because I knew it was a miracle. But I knew it wasn't just a miracle of like, please, Jesus, heal me. It was a miracle of partnering with God with surrendering in the process and letting go of everything that was actually um, leading to this inflammation in my body, which was actually me. Can you share a little bit about that though? Because I think, and, and this is just an assumption, obviously for a lot of people out there, I, I could hear your description of how you were feeling and how overwhelmed a lot of those things were causing stress and pressure and how that affected your body. Um, you know, and I'm sure there's many people listening that have, either felt that way at some point or maybe you're feeling that way now. Mm. And I'm just trying to think of like any indicators that 
you can maybe share with someone that might be experiencing that where they know that really at this point, the only step forward would be to let go. Like you can't try anymore because the trying isn't working. It's not productive. So the only next step would be to let go and know when that is. I, I know that's not really something you could prescribe to somebody, but <laughs> I don't know if you can give any like tips on how to identify those markers for folks out there that might need that. I'm just wondering if that is something that's even reasonable to ask of you. Cause I feel like it's just a loaded question. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it's so hard for us to be in tune with our bodies and our mind and our spirit when we're constantly being inundated with media um, distraction. Um, there's so many things that call for our attention. And so sometimes we can get so caught up in doing all the right things. You know, for me, I was trying to do all the right things with exercising, with, you know, eating grass fed and organic, with trying to be in my Bible, like doing all the right things. But my heart was still ridden with anxiety and fear that. Every time I would get a caller ID from Kaiser, I would have a panic attack. I would just start like, <sighs> like Patrick would be looking at me, my husband, and he's like, anytime Kaiser starts calling, you lose your mind. And so that was an indicator for me of I was doing all the right things that seemed to be the things that would be like getting me on this better health journey. But the real problem was actually something internal. And so maybe the indicator um, is it, it takes a lot of reflection, which is why I, I started my bio with I'm a lover of reflection. Um, if we are not in a state of reflecting on what's really happening, like what are the emotional states that we're really processing, we can be lying to ourselves. Like we can be really fooling ourselves into thinking I'm doing all the things on the outside, but why, why am I not seeing the shift? And the shift that didn't really come until I said, like, I let go was actually realizing I was, I was like literally crippled by fear, crippled by fear. Like the thought of the diagnosis, the thought of what that meant for my life, the thought about who am I now that I have this diagnosis, I, I did not trust that God had my best interests at heart. Like it was a trust issue. And actually at the end of the day, it's a love issue. Um, because if we look at the scripture, it tells us that when we have not been perfected in love, that fear is often the residue that comes out because fear has to do with punishment. And so I felt like I was being gripped by fear because I thought God was punishing me instead of being like totally surrounded and encapsulated by love but I didn't understand what love meant in the midst of suffering. Mm. <clears throat> There's so many nuggets in there. Like what, what love is without suffering. Is that what you said in the end there? That was like so powerful. Thank you for sharing so vulnerably pieces of your story that I think are only little bits <laughs> that encapsulate who you are. Um, my heart breaks knowing that you went through what you did, but I celebrate the process and the journey in which the Lord took you through and he was with you the whole time, mm -hmm. which is really powerful. It's like you were able to surrender because you know that there is a safety, even though things were rocky even though there was a storm, even though there was fear, even though there was all of these things that were trying to overtake you, which in a way had to for you to kind of lean back and trust that you can surrender. Because I think part of surrendering is knowing that you're going to be taken care of. Right. So I think deep, deep, deeply in you, there was this like, knowing and the certainty, even though there was uncertainty. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the trust, what do they call it? When the, when you fall back, the, the trust fall, trust fall. Yeah. 
People think it's real cute. I mean, I can do trust fall all day with my best friends, but can you trust fall with Jesus when your health is literally, you know, it's in the hands of medical professionals and they're saying one thing and everything's not lining up with all the promises that God has given you. And I think even to this day, um, God constantly sends promises, reminders, prophetic words to me through people dreams. I'm always dreaming of things and God speaks to me a lot through dreams. But when reality is saying something else, where's the trust? Like, do I trust the dream? Do I trust the person that came up to me after church and spoke straight to my situation? Or do I trust the person with the degree? And I think that's often too why mental health and the church are against each other because we operate in a different reality being Christians. We don't operate just in the flesh. We operate in the spirit. And so bringing those two together feels so opposite when I'm a doctor with a licensed degree. I've studied this for 50 million years. You need to listen what this diagnosis is telling you. Or do we operate based on the promises that we have in Christ that says, fear not for I am with you. Be not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Like, that sounds real cute. Like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I love Isaiah 41. But when that is, that's like your bread and butter. You don't got nobody else to depend on and uphold you with their righteous right hand because Kaiser's trying to prick you with their righteous right hand in your veins. Like, (laughs) it becomes real. It's a life or death situation of who am I going to trust? Yeah. And then I guess the question is where where do you consider the fact that God created medicine and science mm-hmm. and all of those things like it's not one or the other. Right. He is the authority over all, right? Including therapy and medicine and all of the things. Right. And the, I don't know, maybe sometimes as Christians we minimize that in a way like as much as we talk about how big god is when you say you don't need therapy you're almost minimizing god in a way because you're saying like therapy is not you know it's separate from him you know it it just to me it doesn't make room for how big he is and how authoritative he is over all things right i think we forget you know also in isaiah when they start listing out he is the you know, everlasting father, the prince of peace. It also says he is our wonderful counselor. Um, and then we also hear he is our great physician later on. And mm-hmm. we also see one of the disciples who wrote the Bible was Luke, who was a physician. And so we see that God works in science because he created it. And so um, maybe the issue that we haven't figured out is especially I think when it comes to things like, you know, taking antidepressants and psychotropics and things like that. Like, I think maybe the church, we have more of a comfortability with, if we have diabetes, we'll take the medication. If we have high cholesterol, we'll take the medication. But trusting God in the mental and emotional piece, um, we just solve that through prayer or we just solve that through going extra to a Bible study or, you know, being in a women's group. But what does it look like to actually partner with some of the solutions that are out there? Um, And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I'm not against medication. It's not my first solution. Um, But if someone is needing medication because they're showing schizophrenic tendencies of seeing things, hearing things, then as a licensed professional one day, I can get my license revoked if I am not going through the line of, I'm going to prescribe talk therapy and I have to prescribe, hey, you got to go see a psychiatrist and get some psychotropic medication. But uh, the the line is so fuzzy in terms of what does that mean in terms of our faith and trust in God? Mm. Yeah. I wanted to ask a question because I know your research primarily focuses on African-American youth in the church, right? Mm-hmm. And adults. And adults too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know you have a heart for the youth, so I always kind of gravitate to like <laughs> thinking about you and Patrick over the youth again. <laughs> Circa 2010. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 
But okay, so yeah, thinking about your your specific scope, like have you seen if at all any differences across other demographics like in the in the white evangelical church or in the, you know, Latin churches like the, have you looked at any of that kind of across to see if there's like really varying degrees of how this is viewed in those other demographic groups? So a lot of research actually has been done um, with white. Um, honestly, I would say most research is done with white people. And so when we look at the studies that have actually come forth when it talks about mental health, the, the most prominent voice is from white people. And um, especially, I think, when it comes to the church, too, um, there's been a lot of studies regarding, you know, looking at what kind of support could be needed in terms of the church providing substance abuse support, um, you know, drug count. There, there's a lot of things that have been out there, but um, my research is specifically catered on African-Americans because um, that was the, uh, the most silent voice in research. And so I'm not too keen on um, all the things in terms of the differences in terms of which racial groups, ethnic groups are preferring what, but um, I'm in the midst of analyzing my data. And there's a lot of themes that have come forth with um, why do people choose to get help outside of the church versus in the church? And a lot of it actually has to do with shame. There's a lot of shame with people um, coming to face with their humanity and realizing my humanity is not spiritual, but my pastor is very spiritual. And so how do I come and get help um, from the person who feels the closest to God? And how do I actually come to grips with, um, let's just say, quote unquote, sexual sin? That that was actually an, a big theme that has come forth so far of, I can't go to the pastor to talk about that I'm dealing with maybe some homosexuality, that I'm dealing with lust, that I'm dealing with, you know, fornication or, you know, all the big words. But it's really, I have to go outside the church so I don't have to face the people that I see every day and the shame that I feel. I don't feel safe coming to the church. And so what I'm really curious about is, um, I think oftentimes the language that we use in the church when it comes to supporting the youth and young adults with, you know, sexual purity. And I, I mean, I went through the whole get the purity ring ceremony and you're making the vow before God. And I think there's often a lot of um, emphasis that we put on purity and rightfully so. I think our God is a God of holiness and um, he requires purity from us. But when it comes to how do we provide a space for um, processing and humanity also, I think um, there's a lot of condemnation that comes forth when you fall short. And there's a lot of judgment that comes forth. And so um, the church is a place where people come to get comfort and encouragement, but it's not a place where people feel like they can heal um, maybe they can heal if they go to the prayer room and talk to an intercessor for a quick second, but I'm still facing a pornography addiction when I get home Monday through Saturday, and I'm just trying to figure out how to get to the next day. And we do it on repeat every week. Yeah, it sounds like the church lacks a sense of empathy and humility while engaging that in their community. I think like the fact, like I just remember like wrestling with my own um, troubles <laughs> in the church and having this sense of, I can't be open and talking about the things that I'm dealing with because I feel like someone's just going to lay their hand on me and pray and say it's over. And mm. I don't necessarily like, I, completely a hundred percent agree with like healing. I think it can be so powerful of laying hands. It even says that in scripture, but I think there is a practice of a posture that a lot of people forget when it comes to leadership in the church. Like there's this like governance that they have of like, 
over the people and the congregation when like you should take a posture of humility just as much as me. Mm-hmm. Like you're no better of a person because you hold a title. And I think I wrestled with that, like stepping into the church, feeling like I wasn't fully seen for the things that I'm dealing with. And yet I would go in another vicinity, like at school or in like San Francisco or here or there, like in a, in a club, a community of people who were believers and non-believers. And I felt more accepted mm-hmm. by them than I did even in the church. And that's even why like this past year in January, I saw after therapy and my therapist isn't a Christian and I didn't want that per se. And I remember like talking with her, this is just a side thing, but I remember talking with her and saying something about like, oh, a PK, like, she's like, I'm sorry. Like, what's a PK? (laughs) (laughs) And it was kind of a funny moment for me because I was like, oh yeah, you don't know this. And I hate that I just had that lingo because it's Mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of people who don't know what that is. And for those of you who are listening who don't know what that is, it is a pastor's kid. And I mentioned it to my um, my therapist and I told her, I'm like, hey, now if you ever talk to someone and they say PK, now you know. <laughs> <laughs> See, when you first said it though, knowing you're a ballerina, I immediately thought of a ballerina move, the PK. But then <laughs> I knew that was wrong because in the context of therapy, like, oh, never mind. She's talking about a pastor's kid. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Patricia, uh, I think you're talking about Christianese. Yes. You know, like the, the culture that we as Christians have developed, which is very, it's an exclusive language mm-hmm. and Christianese is an exclusive culture too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can tell who is churched versus unchurched the moment they walk in the door. Um, if I came in wearing what I'm wearing right now and people can't see what I'm wearing, but I'm wearing kind of like an off the shoulder kind of jumpsuit with my back out, people would immediately be like, mm, we need to pray for her. <laughs> She, she must be on the streets, you know, like she, she don't know you're supposed to be modest when you come into the house of the Lord. But it's like at the end of the day, that judgment, like, OK, sure, maybe it could be distracting to other people. But at the end of the day, people coming into the house seeking God should be our number one priority. And how do we support people in their process? And that's my favorite word, process. What what we as the church, I don't know if we are um, keen at yet, is that when we all um, believe we are a new creation in Christ, the old has passed away. Behold, all things are made new. What do we do with the old then? Mm-hmm. Do we just forget it? Do we stuff it? Do we suppress it? Do I just pretend like it didn't happen? And Patricia and I are part of this book club and last week we were talking about this idea of like what do we do with our past as a Christian and many times we live in denial we live in complete denial of I'm fine I'm I'm perfectly fine but don't ask me about my trauma because I don't go there I'm a new creation and the the thing that we're missing is that the past is what gives us the testimony like Mm -hmm. We overcome, Revelation 12 talks about we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. But people are like, no, no, no. I just overcome by the blood of the lamb. So what's what's the test then? Everything that God brought you through to get you to this point, that's what actually brings people to him and it glorifies him. But um, the testimony... I don't know how many of you all have seen when you come up at church, you see the two minute testimony of like, I was walking away from the Lord and then he brought me back and everyone's just like, yes, Jesus, thank you, God, for delivering them. But we don't get to hear the details of, oh, actually, I hated God because it reminded me the abuse I went through with my father. And I actually had years and years of dealing with resentment and bitterness and shame and all these things. And it wasn't until, you know, dot, 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 like that's the part that the world needs, you know, like mm-hmm. I don't even like calling it quote unquote the world because I feel worldly all the time. I, I'm still needing salvation every day. And so it's often this like saved versus unsaved, righteous versus unrighteous. And at the end of the day, we all need the blood. 
And so how do we as the church start bringing uh, less of the Christianese and the Christian culture and just getting back to being human and providing Mm -hmm. that acceptance? But I think a lot of people get a little scared about the acceptance word because then it means we are validating everything or we are in agreement with everything. And acceptance does not mean agreement. Mm. Amen. Say that again. Yes. (laughs) It's come as you are. Right. Wow. That is so good. Everyone needs to hear that. I, I definitely started thinking about how, you know, we not necessarily in agreement with them, but walking alongside of them, you know, and, and accepting them for who they are. And that includes all of us in every, every season. I know the three of us have walked through seasons with each other where it's, you know, it's hard and, and you just need somebody to listen mm-hmm. and you need somebody to be empathetic. And that's the ultimate example of what Jesus did right. during his time here. And for us to think that we're supposed to do anything other than that, you know, to to walk in judgment of somebody or to tell them that they're going to go to hell because of something they did or something they continue to do or who they love or whatever the case might be. It's like, that's not our place. Our place is to to be here, to to share our testimony, to just be, you know, be present, be, you know, somebody who they can trust and listen to and and vice versa. And that creates that environment where then somebody can feel safe and feel comfortable learning and asking more questions and wanting to be, you know, I don't know, just wanting to to know like what else is there, right? You know, and if we don't share those testimonies, like this is the whole purpose of this podcast too for us is to share other women's stories to elicit hope and elicit, you know, some. Fe- a sense of belonging, a sense of like, you're not alone. Mm. You know, we, we all have our struggles. They sometimes look similar and sometimes they don't, but at the core of it all, you know, it's, it's a struggle. Mm-hmm. And we're here for each other. We're here to hear what, you know, where we're coming from and help each other get to where we're going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, it sounds like, wow. I mean, you were even saying uh court, like, you don't like the the nickname court. Coco. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people people always ask, is it Coco? Is it Court? And I'm like, Coco came at 15. Court was before 15. Like, <laughs> it don't matter. It's, it's okay. Just- um, but I, I think like you were talking about how you want to be like a bridge, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like you're bridging the gap. And I think that something that you do really well, Courtney, is you allow people like a bridge to lament Mm. while also leading them to a space of like reconciling with themselves and reconciling with others, which I've observed in our friendship, but I've can only know like from knowing you, like that you offer that space for others. And uh, I think that's just what I'm hearing a lot with what you're sharing is this, this bridge to lament and this, this bridge to reconcile with yourself, acknowledging the past, Mm. but not living there, you know, like you don't have to reside there. That's not your place of residence. You can be here. And that's a little, um, controversial. Like, I think there's a lot of spaces that I've been in where people bring up the past too much Mm. and, it's like good, but to a fault almost, because I'm like, well, then tell me where I need to go, <laughs> mm. um, which I love so much about you is even as a friend, I'm not like you're there, like I'm not seeing you, like I'm not your client, but as a friend who can laugh and can cry and just be, you offer that space for for others as well. So thank you. I mean, I I I love being able to just again see people in their process. Like mm-hmm. I think that um, oftentimes when we rush the process of things, and I'm preaching to myself right now of like 
I love getting to the end. Like my husband and I, we will start a Netflix show and immediately I want to know how many episodes are there so I can prepare myself for when the finale is. <laughs> and Patrick, is he will hide how many episodes there are. He's like, just enjoy the process. Enjoy the journey of the character development. Enjoy understanding this flashback. And I mean, that gets me to why I love This Is Us. Like, This Is Us, they do a perfect job of bringing in the past, the present, and the future. Mm. And I think that's how us as humans, we work. Like, we, there's a theory in psychology called um, psychodynamic theory, which is often we have to look at the past to understand themes, to understand how it informs our sense of self of who we are today. But oftentimes people are like, when I go to therapy, do I have to talk about my childhood? And the answer is like, no, but yes, because the past does inform what is going on right now. But I also love this theory in psychology called narrative therapy. And narrative therapy is all about, we get to actually rewrite your story though. We don't have to stay just because you were brought up in this kind of childhood, it doesn't mean that is the end. Like you get to, you have the pen, you and Jesus get to partner together to keep writing what it's going to look like and also reconceptualize what the past actually meant. Because if we believe the word says all things work together for the good, even when we see trauma and things that happened in our past, we don't look at it only from the lens of, basically the devil tried to take me out. Like, yes, and. That's mm. a therapist's favorite word. Yes, and. Yes, let's acknowledge and validate that experience in the trauma that it was, in the feelings that it brought up. And we get to bring a new lens to it to understand what is happening for you and what this means for what you do moving forward. Mm. I love that. Did you know that that's also the pillar of improv? Really? Yes, and yeah. I didn't so, tell me more. The, the idea is like if you were if you were improving right now, you you know created your own skit as the other person that you kind of pass it to. I have to in my mind say yes to what you've created and add on top of it. And not not to take away what you did or try to like change what you did, but to build off of it. Oh, I love that. And that's that's exactly what you're talking about when it comes to our lives. Like, <laughs> it's all an improv. <laughs> and literally, I mean, thinking of another psychological theory about, like, cognitive behavioral therapy. Like, it's so much to do with our thought life. How we are perceiving and telling ourselves, like, you know, these stories about ourselves. Like, if I am looking through the lens of, um, let's just say, um, everyone in my life is out to hurt me, I am going to find, and I will have a self-fulfilling prophecy. I will find, I can, I can find 27 things that happened from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. that confirmed everyone is out to get me. Everyone is out to hurt me. But if I change my thought life, and I love Dr. Caroline Leaf, who's all about neuroscience and, you know, the structures that we build in our brain and how we have the power to deconstruct these structures. Like if I start seeing everyone in my life is out to love me, how many more things will we find if we shift what we're thinking about? And so I love the yes and. Um, and I think maybe, again, going to the church, um, I think there's often a no, but mm. like I come in, I'm dealing with depression and no, God has not given you that, but let's focus on everything that's going good in your life. Let's focus on all the things you need to be grateful for. And maybe the thing that um, would cause a shift is the yes and language of, yes, let me acknowledge you have been waking up feeling depressed. Mm. Yes, let me acknowledge, wow, you are feeling discouraged. And let me partner with you as you mm. walk through that process. Not and let me just throw all the scriptures at you that the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's a time and a space for that. And I remember in my own journey, you know, one of my biggest supporters through it was my dad. And my dad would be sending me scriptures 
He would call and pray over me. My mom would call and pray over me. We would do prayer calls every day. And that gave me the strength to keep pushing. But I needed the space to process the other stuff first before Mm -hmm. I can accept that. And so the yes and language, um, I think it could transform a lot of things for our friendships too, like in Mm -hmm. our marriages and our relationship with our kids. Like I'm imagining one day having a future kid that's like, you know, they fall, they hurt themselves. And you often hear the thing like, you got to like, don't freak out. You got to clap and be like, yay. And that is the most psychologically confusing thing you can do to a child. Like I literally just hurt myself and they're clapping. That confuses Mm -hmm. me to even be aware of what's going on with my body sensations and my feelings. So the other side is, I always do this with Patrick. I'm like, okay, one day when our child, when they fall, I'm going to be like, oh, baby, I love you. Here, let me hear. What what are you processing right now? How are you feeling? Oh, it hurt? Yes, mommy loves you. I know that it hurt. And then Patrick's like, but what about the and part? Like, we don't stay in the emotions. We move out of it, too. Because if I told them 50 million times not to jump off the couch, there's an and part that's connected with it. (laughs) So... You know, yes, and I'll see how that comes up with parenting one day. <laughs> That's when you say, I told you so. <laughs> Just kidding. I mean, I'm guilty of having done that a couple of times. <laughs> Same. It's how you learn. Like, yeah, I heard, but what did you learn from it? <laughs> don't do it again. Okay. Like, we, we don't jump off the couch. Right. And I love that because I feel like <laughs> it's, it's like an invitation to empathize. You know, right. it's not this like um, refusal of emotion. It's an invitation. And right. I love that whenever there's a space to invite, they have the choice. And I hate when people are not given the choice. It's mm-hmm. like the church should offer a place where we invite We're not trying to tell people to fit a mold Mm -hmm. in which we have constructed in our own mind or the social construct or the system was in place for us in the evangelical predominantly white church. You know, like we need to be able to break those barriers and have an invitation where people can receive. It's not this, this is the only answer, which is so cool. I didn't know that was a improv thing I need to practice on improv because I feel like that would build like even my own narrative for my own story so mm-hmm. I love that you said that Bahar we are running short on time we could talk about like so many themes with you Courtney we'll have to have like a part two at some point because you're just amazing on so many levels like you could talk about anything <laughs> I- <laughs> really um but before we go I wanted to ask you a question what you're doing to take care of yourself in the form of rest, um, maybe some nuggets there that they can apply to their own life. And we can too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I ever since um, taking a break from grad school, I actually just started back this week, but I have mastered um, two arts that will change your life. I don't even know if I want to share it because it's mine. <laughs> I'm just, my brother's like, you, you didn't pass sharing. I'm like, yes, I did. I'm an older sibling. We constantly have to share everything. But um, honestly, me and one of my girlfriends from grad school, um, we carry this magic button, um, this imaginary button with us. And we just pull it out of our pocket um, at a moment's notice. And I don't know if many of you have seen the staples button, Um, It's a big red button that says that was easy. Um, My dad used to have that button in his office and we actually created another button and it's called no. Um, It's our no button. And so anytime we are feeling like we are being stretched to the point of feeling the pressure to do something just because someone is asking of it, um, the pressure to please, Um, the pressure of I have to or I should, we just literally bring out our palm in front of our hand and we literally on three hit the no button and we yell no. 
And so I have mastered the art of no now. And I want to credit that to my friend Amina, um, because I think uh, release and rest do not come when we're constantly achieving and striving. And I had to learn that, I think, through my health journey that um, there's a point of no and not a no to others, per se, because I think sometimes, um, you know, us Enneagram twos um, can get to the point of like, I have to give, I have to be self-sacrificial. And then we feel depleted when we're not giving to others. We feel um, not fulfilled. So it's not necessarily about saying no to other people, but it's really saying no to yourself when you're hitting that level of either perfectionism, of striving, of just like your body, you, you need to listen to it. You're like Patricia, one her favorite um, thing she used to say when we used to do deep work is you're working with your body, not against it. And I love that saying because I think often as women too, we fight against our body. Our mind and the never ending to-do list is more important than what our body needs. And the no button has come way high on my priority list. Like if I have a, a edge of just like my eyes are feeling heavy and my mind is telling me, Courtney, you need to write that psychological report for that client that's due tomorrow. I say, no, no, I need a nap. And so that's my other tip. I've become the queen of napping. And I don't think I really had an option in that because I'm growing a human right now. <laughs> but... <laughs> I to sleep at all times. And so, you know, you just got to get the master of napping again. <laughs> Enjoy it while you can. <laughs> That's what they say. They say it's about to be gone. So I'm like, you, get, you get nine months of napping. Embrace it. <laughs> <laughs> so good. We're so happy for you guys. Thank you. Now everyone on Embracing Everyday Women knows. You know, you know the secret. <laughs> that's also something you can't find on social media until the day before this pod or the day. Yeah. If this podcast is coming out after our big release, then you'll be one of the first peeps to know. <laughs> yes. You're going to share it on Mother's Day, you said? Yeah. So okay. if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably after Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we wouldn't. No, we're not going to share it before. (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But thank you so much for coming on our podcast. It has been so enriching. And I just so appreciate you in so many ways, Courtney. Um, We'll have to continue this conversation and do it again. It was just so fun. I mean, I love conversation. I love connecting and one, I love the both of you. And so it's so easy to just talk all day. We can talk about everything and all things. Um, and I just hope that through the sharing of my story, that the the story doesn't end. Like I, I love thinking about even with the Bible, like even when we get to the last page, the story doesn't end. And so um, just leaving people with the encouragement that you get to keep rewriting your story every day when you wake up. It's a new day to write your chapter. So thank you for having me on the podcast. And where can our listeners connect with you and and hear more from you? Oh, yeah. Um, So my husband and I, we do have a podcast. We took a major no break when pandemic hit. So You'll notice our last episode um, was when the pandemic hit, (laughs) but um, we love talking about real topics. We talk about this idea of light skin privilege, Christianese. We love talking about how people of color can redefine success. So you can find me on there. You can find me on Instagram. I am Coco Miller. um, And there's different projects that I'm working on right now. So stay tuned. And the name of your podcast is The Miller Time Podcast. The Miller Time Podcast, People of Color Redefining Success. We love you so much. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your just everything about you. Your grace, the love that you have for people. It just exudes from every pore and we love it. So (laughs) thank you. We look forward to having you back. Oh, thank you. Thank you. 
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Embracing Everyday Women. We love to see all your posts about our podcast and what resonates with you on social media. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Embracing Everyday Women. If you have a story that you'd like to share, you can email us at embracingeverydaywomen at gmail.com. Again, thank you so much for being a part of our community. Join us next time in this space to embrace ourselves and one another.